Funding for Elwood City Limits is provided by Christopher Ifill, Ian Collis, John Dulong, Josias Melendez, Leanne S., Light Relentless, and Poolside123. If you'd like to support the podcast and get a little something for your trouble, go to patreon.com slash elwoodcitylimits. Lucas? Yeah, Will? Did you know that Elwood City Limits is nominated for an actual award? What? And it's not the award for worst podcast? It's actually the award for best podcast in Halifax? Who could have seen that coming? The Best of Halifax Awards 2018 are coming up very, very soon. Lucas, how can people vote for Elwood City Limits to be the best podcast in Halifax? Well, first of all, I want to thank everybody for helping us get nominated in the first place. And if you've done that, then you're familiar with the process. All you have to do is go to bestofhalifax.com and then pick the news and media category. All you have to do is scroll down to best podcast and vote for Elwood City Limits. You just have to type in your email and you're all signed up. And this really helps us out. Uh, it's an honor to even be nominated. So... Please, for the month of August, vote for Elwood City Limits to be the best podcast. And when's the last day they can vote? The last day they can vote, it's essentially August 1st to September 15th. All right! Woo! Funding for Elwood City Limits is brought to you by Facebook. Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. Twitter. At ECL Podcast. Tumblr. ElwoodCityLimits.tumblr.com. Email. ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. And by contributions from listeners like you. Literally at ElwoodCityLimits.Libson.com. Thank you. Cha-ching, cha-ching, baby. Woof, woof, Will, it's the dog days of summer. Well, if I mean, you're right about that, but I'm, I will say it's actually been quite more bearable in terms of, uh, you know, as dog days go, because uh, the humidity is finally uh, easing down a little bit. Yeah, everybody on my social media was all like, I finally get to wear pants again. I mean, that's not really something to celebrate. I'm hanging on to my shorts days because for then because for the next nine months... <laughs> I'm going to have to wear pants. I know. People always say it about people who live here, but we're so fickle. It's it's snowy, uh, essentially six months to eight months out of the year, um, where it's almost too cold to go outside because your face hurts so much. And then it's really hot for maybe a month and a half, and people are like, oh, it's so hot. And I'm a gentleman of thick thighs, which I'm told save lives, but also make uh, <laughs> wearing pants a little bit constrictive at times. I like the fr- I like the freedom that comes with a uh, with a short pant. So that's that's a bit that's a big attraction of summer for me. But yes, trust me, I've uh, I'm I'm the same way. I'm gonna be absolutely complaining when it's cold, and we've probably done that on the podcast before too. Oh yeah, uh, uh, you don't talk into microphones around here and not mention the weather. At some point. <laughs> That's true. Welcome, everybody, to Elwood City Limits. Now, this I want to make absolutely clear because I've been, excuse me, 
wondering, I'm just like, is this the last episode? Is this the last episode? No, this is the last episode. Today is the last episode of season four. Yeah, a little birdie told me that we're getting close to the end of season four. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, and this is the last episode of Season 4 before we head off into Season 5, which is going to have quite a few changes. But before we get there, my name's Will Young, and with me is my co-host, Lucas Mancini. Hello, hello. I want to say hello as well to uh, a special hello to a couple of new uh, patrons that have... uh, uh, ups this week. It's been quite the big week uh, that we've been had having before. I mean, I guess this is coming out on a Friday, so I'm talking like on a Tuesday. So like the week before, we had JV on the show. We had uh, the official release of our ECL commentary. Uh, there's been quite a few things going on. It's been an active, uh, an active year, and now, as uh, as I remember it, Lucas, this is uh, two years of Elwood City Limits. This is our two-year episode. Oh, my goodness. Look at that. I didn't even realize. I didn't get you anything. I'm so embarrassed. Uh, <laughs> you, but you, you, two years you're really he- fly by. Wow. You're here, which is the best gift of them all. Uh, two and years I- of... Two years of doing a regular podcast. I couldn't ask for more than for you know the two the two of us to be able to do this on a r- regular basis without you know wanting to kill each other. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And I'm happy to be back. It was nice to have a little break. I, I really enjoyed the episode with JV and got to live out my fantasies of being a listener of the podcast instead of just being on the podcast. But duty calls, and we're back in the saddle. In many ways, JV was was a, a nice replacement for you because he, although he was quite different in terms of the energy, some of the things he talked about reminded me uh, quite mm. a bit of you. So <laughs> we're very uh, hopeful to get him back, the three of us, for an episode at some point. Um, and well, in terms of getting back to it, this is this is it. We've got a full episode for you today, one that I'm really excited to talk about. Before we get into that. Let's roll it over to the Elwood City Limits mailbag, elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. We actually just have one email this week, but it's a substantial one. It's from former guest on the show, Anna Monsager. Uh, Anna, sorry, I've already forgotten how to pronounce your last name, so I apologize. But her email is dads, dads, dads. That's the name of the email. Uh, The reason I'm emailing, Anna says, are twofold. One, to maybe help you clarify something from, uh, well, this would be two episodes ago. Uh, In my opinion, the title of the episode, To Beat or Not To Beat, is a play on words from Hamlet's To Be or Not To Be, because Francine didn't know if she should just sing or just play the drums, so should should she beat, uh, just play the drums, or not beat, just sing. I hope that makes sense. I, okay, I, I think that pretty much clears things up, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, it makes... It makes sense, but it's still a little bit of a stretch. Like, yeah, if, if uh, maybe if the episode was a little bit more Hamlety, like yeah, if a there little. There was a, a Lady Macbeth stand-in being like, "No, Francine, you have to play the drums." L- Lucas, you know that Lady Macbeth is from Macbeth, right? You, you know what? Well, we're recording this episode in the morning. <laughs> Again, I took a week off. <laughs> And then Francine dresses up as a guy, and she lives on an <laughs> island. And her and her boyfriend poison themselves. <laughs> okay. The other Did I reason- mention King Henry VIII's there, too? <laughs> I'm trying to play off, dude. The other reason I wanted to email was because I was a kid who grew up without a dad. And although my parents are not divorced, just simply not together in the first place, I went through a lot of the same things Buster went through. 
uh, in the episode of Thousand One Dads, and I've always loved that episode for showing that. I did wonder why he wouldn't just bring his mom to the picnic. I often brought my mom to Father's Day things, and nobody really cared since she knew since they knew she was a single mom. Uh, also, there's quite a few cartoons that show parents being divorced and actually say the word divorced, or at least say that they left. Uh, so in Rugrats, Kimmy's parents are divorced so her mom can marry Chucky's dad, and she does mention that her dad is still in Japan. Pepper Ann and As Told by Ginger also ve- feature divorced parents. So I didn't know I didn't know that. That's uh, some A-plus uh, Saturday morning cartoon knowledge there, Anna. I really appreciate that. I forgot about the Rugrats one. That's really interesting. Well, yeah, Kimmy is kind of past the, um, I guess, the cultural peak of the Rugrats. That's when we were getting into the second Rugrats movie. Hmm. I wonder how much they reference it in All Grown Up. Hmm. Well, Kimmy is a regular character, so in All Grown Up, I'm pretty sure. So there's at least a chance. Hmm. Uh, I did notice, though, that when the parents are divorced, the kids usually live with the mom. I guess this is generally more common, but I would like to see a show sometime where the parents are divorced, but the dad is the main caregiver. It would just be interesting. That's all. Hope you guys are doing well. Best Anna. Thank you for that, Anna. And, I mean, we also mentioned uh, sticking around as a possible uh, divorced parents thing, although mm-hmm. I'm still not 100% convinced, but that's that's a situation where it's like uh, Stacy kind of lives between both of her parents, but her dad is kind of shown to be less competent as a parent, so... That's right, he tries he... to mow his lawn even though it's green gravel, so... That's right. Uh, before we get into the episode at large, Lucas, I had a question I wanted to take to carry over from last week, that one that JV uh, uh, brought up. So we talked about which title card which arthur title card you would be uh, being me and him but i wanted to ask you which title arthur title card do you think you would be well it's funny because uh, as i was listening and you got asked the same question uh we're definitely on the same wavelength because i would also pick the one where buster's face gets all big uh and he like looks into the thing and his like face gets huge and he opens his mouth that's the one mm-hmm. i would go with as well mm-hmm. sorry i was eating a peach that's a good one <laughs> All right, so let's do it. Last episode of season four, and it starts with my music rules. I didn't get to get your um, your reaction to the to the titles of the episodes last week. Uh, when you saw when you saw the the episode title before you watched it, uh, did it spark any memories in you of either one? Uh, that's a baby show. Certainly, I knew exactly what that episode was. My music rules. I didn't realize. I didn't realize what episode this was until like five minutes into the episode, and then I was like, "Oh, it's this one." Uh, so my music rules. I th- I was kind of thinking of a couple of different ones, but I'm glad it was this one. Uh, so the episode starts off with um, D- I, is it? It's DW at daycare, right? Or not daycare? Kindergarten. Sorry, I just realized I don't have the episode in front of me, so. I'm watching it right now. Yeah, this is the this is uh, pulling back the curtain a little bit, but I usually uh, have the episode on in the background so I can at least have a visual reference so that I'm not talking out of my butt as to uh, what's going on in front of me. Right, so it's DW in uh, preschool, and uh, I believe it's the or no, it's the library because the library is looking for a musical guest for like a kid centric, what have you. Um, and because, because as Miss Turner says, their musical guest they were going to have, Piccolo Pete, the musical clown, ran away from the circus to join a family. Which is a really good joke that, like, no kid would get. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, no, that was... she says that... it so quickly. Like, I, I had to go back 
because I was like, that was delivered like it was a joke. Let me like rewind real quick and see what she said again. And I'm like, that's very clever. That's funny. Mm-hmm. The dialogue really... in the first half of this episode is really snappy. Like we get a couple sequences in a row. It's like only the first few minutes of this episode where it's very, it's like, it's like a PG rated Judd Apatow movie or something. Like people are just going like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It's just in these first three minutes. I don't know what was going on, uh, but the writers were having a little bit of fun with the first half of this episode. Yeah, the, like a lot of my notes for uh, for I think both of these and, and mostly my music rules are generally quotes. Um, Arthur kind of comes in and it's and I f- I'm trying to think of what this would, the style would be, but it's like he interrupts the episode at large and like just comes in front of uh, DW as she's about to suggest uh, what the musical guest should be. And it's the cold open is like, do you ever know you're going to hate something before anything even happens? And he uses a couple of examples, one of them being uh, Arthur and D.W. getting dinner from Grandma Thora. It's Thora's mean bean pie. Not to be confused with Dr. Robotnik's mean bean Bean machine. machine. Yeah. So so Lucas, would you eat Thora's mean mean bean pie? Yeah? Yeah, nothing wrong. Like, I like a meat pie. Uh, There's a place near my apartment that, uh, oh gosh, I forget what it's called. Some sort of pie pun. But there's a place right next to my apartment that all they make is meat pies, so I, I'm not one to turn away from a savory pie, and I like a baked bean, um, so I, I don't see a, a bean pie being that gross sounding. I think that's one of the Arthur concoctions I'm more likely to try, so I'll, I'll probably agree with you there. Um, or in the case of Pal, he's hiding in the garage because uh, they're t- Arthur and Buster are telling him they're going to go for a ride, but really he's going to go get shots. <laughs> And there's a great exchange between Arthur and Buster where um, even Arthur's like, Pal's smart, but he's not that smart because Buster's like, do you think he knows he's going to get shots? Uh, And then, of course, Pal knows exactly what's going on because he's kind of recoiling in fear under the table in the garage. And then finally, DW, uh, what she wanted to ask Miss Turner is, can they get the guy who did Crazy Bus? (laughs) Crazy Bus gets some play in this episode. Um, I'm... I always like when Crazy Bus gets uh, brought back because it's funny. It's kind of arbitrary in Arthur what becomes part of the continuity and what we never see again, a la Toadie, um, you know, Arthur's uncles from that one family reunion episode. There's a lot of stuff that we latch on to that never comes back, but one of the ones that's always consistent is Crazy Bus is here to stay. Um, and so uh, it just makes the world feel lived in whenever it comes back again, as annoying as the song can be. <laughs> Well, you say never come back, but I have to reference this over on uh, uh, ElwoodCityLimits.tumblr.com. We actually got an ask from somebody, huge drawing nerd their name is, and they said that Toadie actually comes back later in the series. So, Well, I have that to look forward to. <laughs> yeah, in quotes. Um, so we begin the episode with... Uh, DW is being dropped off at Grandma Thora's to be looked after, but Grandma Thora has tickets to a concert, so she ends up with Miss with Mrs. McGrady, who is one of her good friends. So she's going to take DW with the two of them to this concert. Uh, like you said with the dialogue here, great exchange between Mom and DW. DW says, uh, "Do I have any real choice in this? None whatsoever." <laughs> oh boy, a concert. Yeah, DW's delivery of like, "Oh boy." A concert really hits it home. It's funny. 
We also have uh, another story going on here where uh, Arthur and his friends are trying to figure out what musician they can bring in for the library's uh, guest spot for whatever this would be. And uh, they're over at Francine's house, Arthur and Francine, and uh, uh, Oliver Frensky, bless him, comes in and says, I have an idea. And Francine immediately says, Dad, they don't want someone to play their nose. And even later, Arthur's like, you play your nose? Uh, but no, uh, Oliver's suggestion is to get um, Francine's. Is it her co- her uncle Josh, right? Her uncle Josh. Well, uh, he assumes he at first he just calls him Uncle Josh. Later on, there's a bit of exposition where it's like he's like an uncle twice removed. It's like yeah. a sister's brother's cousin's uncle twice removed who showed up at the family reunion. And I really, I didn't realize this at watching this episode as a kid. Nor did I realize this watching this episode new until much later in the episode where they start using his full name. I was like, why does this guy have a last name? Because uh, usually Arthur characters, unless they're like a Reed. You don't usually hear their full name. Muffy Crosswire, maybe. But, like, they were like, Joshua Redmond. And I'm like, is Francine's last name Redmond? Uh, it wasn't until, like, late in the episode I was like, oh, this guy's also a real guy. It's not just Yo-Yo Ma. Ever since mm. I was a kid when I watched this episode, I knew that Yo-Yo Ma was a real person. I'm pretty sure this episode is what taught me Yo-Yo Ma existed. But I did not realize until today that Joshua Redmond was a real jazz musician. Yeah, it's absolutely true. Both uh, both the guests in this episode, Yo-Yo Ma and Josh and Josh Redman, have their own Wikipedia page, uh, so they are d- both definitely real people. But one, but Josh Redman is in Arthur Cannon, distantly related to Francine. And yeah, that's where D.W. and Thora and Mrs. McGrady are going. It's to a Yo-Yo Ma concert, which I mean, as a kid, you hear the name Yo-Yo Ma, you're never gonna forget it. <laughs> it's, it's true. It was really ingrained in my brain. Like I was like, oh yeah, Yo-Yo Ma. He's Asian-American, and he plays the cello. And I knew that since I was, like, five. And I don't think, like, until watching this episode again, I don't think I heard a Yo-Yo Ma song uh, or, like, watched a YouTube video of him. But I have an image of him ingrained in my brain, and it's purely from this Arthur episode. As as, as, a, as a kindly uh, rabbit who plays the cello. Mm. DW is thinking that she's going to hate this because it's, you know, she knows it's classical music. Like, she even has a line as Thora takes her in. is just like... It's like you ever what was oh man I'm I'm going to screw this up but it's like it's like how is it that you know exactly when you're going to hear the worst thing you've ever heard in your entire life <laughs> Uh because and also um as they're walking up DW is asking Thora like what's it going to be like is is like is he going to like jump around on stage and break his instruments DW has a couple of suggestions and her vision of music is very punk I thought Yeah she's expecting something a little bit closer to like um, Gigi Allen than Yo-Yo Ma. Uh, yes. Yeah. Which, which is funny to picture. Like if Yo-Yo Ma just like went ballistic and start like smashing his cello. Yeah. Like if you, if like, if you had Yo-Yo Ma at the beginning of the Eric Andre show or something. <laughs> See, that's a funny image. That's good. Um, but, but of course it's Yo-Yo Ma playing a concert and and he's of course playing beautifully and DW loves it. In fact, she kind of breaks the, uh, the kind of politeness rules she like before the thing is over she's like hooting and hollering and just like give it up people this is awesome yeah she's like yelling to the people in the back around her she's like come on people give it up uh she's sort of confused why people aren't going nuts for yo-yo boss performance and then uh i think it's thora who's like it's not over yet so yes yo-yo ma for in case you don't know is a uh is a cellist 
and he has recorded over 90 albums and has won over eight and has won 18 Grammys. So he is quite the celebrated musician. He's exactly uh, he's definitely in uh, the PBS sort of crowd. Would That's love right. I was Omar. just looking at pictures of him on Google Images, and I forgot that he was on an episode of Sesame Street as well. Oh yeah, that makes that makes total sense. Meanwhile, uh, over at Francine's, um, Oliver has found a picture of uh, Josh Redman and let them know that he is like a jazz musician. He's in fact a jazz saxophonist and a composer. And uh, Arthur, uh, before even meeting him, thinks the world of him. In fact, he pictures him like sort of playing. The, I I just watched Mary Poppins uh, over the weekend again, and so it's like the Dick Van Dyke thing where he's got like five instruments in one. He's got the bass drum on his back and like the controls the cymbals with his feet, that kind of thing. Well, yeah, and, Oliver explains it as uh, he's a jazz musician, which means he can basically play anything. And Arthur takes this to mean that he's the MacGyver of musicians, uh, and it doesn't matter what object you give him, he can turn it into a musical instrument. Because even, like, as someone starts vacuuming near him in Arthur's imagination, he takes the vacuum and finds, like, two different ways to play it. And I'm like, okay, that's cool, but better not to play a vacuum before you clean it. You know what I mean? It's like he's in Fat Albert's band. <laughs> um, and then after the con- Yo-Yo Ma's concert, DW goes to his dressing room and asks him to uh, come to the library. Yo-Yo Ma's voice is so pleasant to listen to. I loved every time that he spoke. He and Josh Redman both have very, very calm and uh, kind of quiet and gentle voices. I love it. I know. And I was wondering if that was I I bet a part of it is everybody else on the show is a professional voice actor. Right. So Mm. uh, I'm sure there's just an element of performativeness uh, in their vocal delivery. That's just a part of voice acting. And Yo-Yo Ma and Joshua Redman are just kind of playing themselves, so I'm sure they're just kind of using their regular speaking voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and he sounds exact. They both sound almost exactly how you'd expect of like Yo-Yo Ma's like, "Oh, hello, Arthur." Like it gave me flashbacks to another uh, celebrity guest appearance when Mister Rogers was yeah. on Arthur. Um, mm. It's a kind of a similar delivery. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great point, and it's it's actually very refreshing because you know sometimes. In, in in other in other cartoons or animated scenarios, you have like a a guest voice, and I I, th- I also thought that like because their voices were so nice to listen to, there there's a little bit of maybe a different type of performance that goes into that because like I'm thinking of all the times you've had guests on The Simpsons who like flatly will go will go like hi I'm Arnold Palmer and all this kind of stuff like the just very <laughs> that's flat. Fun. That's fun in its own way, though. But I see what you're saying. But but they didn't come across as flat. Like they were yeah. reading their they were reading their lines very well, but also made it sound natural, which isn't easy. So maybe props, earnest. Props to them. Maybe earnest is the right word. Like earnest. there's an earnestness to them. Their yes. performance that it's that it's much appreciated. Yeah. No. That's a, that's a that's a great point. Uh, so they both so both Arthur and D.W. have their ideas for who they want to ask the library to bring in as musicians. We get this. Oh, this scene was so cool. So it kind of cuts back between uh, D.W. and Grandma Thora and Arthur and Francine, and they're both getting to the library at about the same time and wanting to ask Miss Turner the same question. And every time it goes to D.W., there's like a kind of a lively cello tune being played. When it goes to Arthur and Francine, there's a saxophone tune being played. And then as they kind of meet each other in the library and see what the other is trying to do, they like end up getting into a fight. But then we get this like saxophone cello fusion music. And it like it almost it's almost like the two uh, music tracks are like trying 
like fighting with each other, but doing yeah. so in a way that makes this really cool music. And I was like, this is awesome. Well, it, it works on multiple levels because so there's no dialogue in the whole scene, right? The, mm-hmm. It's essentially, it reminds me of like Disney's Fantasia or something where um, it's sort of a musical piece and they've added an animation to it or a story to it. So like the, the piece uh, and the story kind of mirror each other. So as the action in the scene rises, so does the music. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like literally no sound effects except for this musical composition. But it's great because they chose a moment where like Arthur and DW are getting into an argument. And this is a scene we've seen so many times in these four seasons of Arthur that like they could have just had them like yell at each other like they literally do almost every single episode and so i really appreciated it okay this is a new way to convey this information we know exactly what's going on like you and i both know i could hear in my head what they're actually saying to each other but this was like a totally brand new way to uh basically present the scene so it was really appreciated yeah, and of course, I, I'm sure they probably knew that like there's only so many ways we can make a fight between Arthur and DW sound interesting. So how about we don't do it at all and try this new thing? And I think it worked fantastically. I thought this was so cool. Uh, but of course, we do get to kind of hear the second half of their fight as they're like leaving the library. Um, and DW has a great line that I've remembered to this day. And she's she's just like you're gonna have to tell your guy to your guy not to be here. Yo mama says he's coming, and then Thor says yo yo ma dear. <laughs> just great. You never thought that you never thought that Arthur would have a yo mama joke, but that's probably as close as they ever got. With a name like yo yo ma, it's just too easy to pass up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love here like the whole thing is like how DW hears one classical performance and is immediately a music snob but this is kind of the theme of the episode is that both of them are saying that not only is their uh, style of music that they want to bring in the best but by extension the style of music that they uh, that the other one wants to bring in is demonstrably bad in some way. So like Arthur says, classical music is boring. DW is sticking up for classical music, all this kind of thing. DW has a line where she's like, you wouldn't even know when to clap at a classical concert, referencing uh, kind of earlier in the episode. And Arthur says, I would too, never, because it's boring. <laughs> I thought that was such a good burn. It's kind of a nuanced subject for an Arthur episode. Like the, the, the moral of this episode is that music is subjective, right? Mm. Uh, Which is an interesting lesson because it's something that I remember being in high school and I would get in so many arguments with guys about like, I remember there's like a specific genre of person in high school who were like, they would only listen to one type of music, but like, that's fine. Like you can only like one type of music, but they would also have this weird opinion that like all other music didn't count as art. You know, the type of person I'm talking about, like this kind of person, um, who like only listens to like dad rock or guitar music and they're like any mm-hmm. music that's not that is like bad or the people who are like I listen to everything but rap and country like I'm of the opinion like I like try to keep an open mind when it comes to the spectrum of music that there's something of value in every genre under the sun like it, and even though I may not like something there's definitely artistic merit in almost every single genre of music. So, and that's an opinion I've had for a really long time, and it's something that um, I've kind of gotten in many, many arguments with people, especially when I was younger over the years. Uh, So, it's funny, I wish I had known about this Arthur episode, so I could have just pulled this up in, like, junior high and be like, see, even Arthur agrees with me. You know what I mean? Music is subjective. 
so I thought this is like it's it's kind of a nuanced. I'm sure there's like a greater moral here where it's like all art subjective. You shouldn't hate on people because of what they like. That's like the greater moral. But I just uh, I I thought it spoke to my own experience of kind of struggling to explain this point to other people when I was younger. So it's interesting that there's a whole Arthur episode about it. Yeah, big time. This is uh, immediate. Um, like you get halfway through this episode, and you're like, "Wow, this is incredibly ap- applicable to adult life." I mean, you get all kinds of people, and it's it's a it's a hard lesson to learn. And some people, I guess, never really learn it. Is that you know something like music and art in general is so subjective, and you know a lot of the arguments that we kind of have around it are so. I don't know, just kind of just kind of fill space because really I'll go a little bit further with something that you said. I I you know, I think that there is absolutely types of music that I love. There's types of music I don't like, but I'd say that there's artistic merit is in the music I don't like as much as there is in the ones that I do like. So, and I'm and I'm sure that that's what you meant as well. Um yeah, no, this is this is something that does come up quite a bit and uh uh, watching it helped me to reinforce I'm you know I'm trying to be of the mind that when it comes to music or just when it comes to stuff that people like like I'm really trying to be uh less judgmental as I get older uh ab- about what people like and you know what makes them happy because you know I I I would also not want people to judge to be judgmental of mine and this is a great kind of uh way to put this home this children's cartoon I, uh, I also like the the two genres they picked to kind of showcase in this episode. It's classical cello and uh, improvisational uh, saxophone jazz. Mm. Uh, again, two, like you said earlier, two very PBS canon genres of music. Like people yeah. who watch a lot of PBS are probably used to those two genres. But it's also one that kids might not be exposed to otherwise. There's not a lot of situations unless you're kind of seeking those two genres out that it kind of – falls on your lap uh which i think is also good because it could like show a, a kid might fall in love with yo-yo ma after watching this episode it reminded me of when i um i'd never really gotten into latin american music before and i watched coco this year mm-hmm. um and then i was like looking up albums and I, w- I was listening to playlists on spotify like i got way into it and kind of fell in love with that whole genre of music and i would never have uh had i not seen coco what a great way to discover it. What a what a good movie that is. Art, we kind of cut to Arthur and his friends in the band room the next day. And Arthur Arthur's really fired up about classical music and how boring it is. But the, but but it it occurs to me as I as I read my notes that it's like he probably would have a bit of an inside track because he's probably had to practice it so many times. Oh, uh, I didn't even consider that. That's a great point. Yeah. So his friends are kind of going back and forth about like music opinions. And the funny thing here is that like every time somebody makes a point, uh, Buster immediately backs them up. He like flavor flaves them. He's just like, Sue Ellen's right. Da-da-da. Binky's right. Da-da-da. And like his opinion flips every time. So like Binky says something like, if you really like music, one kind would be your favorite and you would hate to hear any other kind. Which Buster immediately agrees with. And then Arthur calls him out like, Buster, not ev- everybody can't be right. And Buster says, "I'm good at having opinions. I'm just not good at keeping them." I uh, I love this scene. Like the way the comedic timing in it, the way that Buster like immediately agrees with everybody, it's perfectly timed. And I thought it was very funny. And it's not that hard to imagine that Buster it has a little bit of a sycophantic streak. <laughs> uh, um, so as they leave the school, like Binky's like really excited for the both of them to be there. 
which is kind of the conclusion they came to in the earlier scene is that like both of them uh, can be the musical guests because Binky thinks they're going to get into the biggest fight you've ever seen. Like for some reason they're going to be in the same room and then they're just going to throw down. And this leads to an extended fantasy, which uh, I completely forgotten about, but man, I'm glad that we have an Arthur podcast between you and me for this. All right. It's time to get into this. This (laughs) is, you know, there's been, there had to have been at least one person. I know that like wrestling was very much, like a cultural touchstone in the late 90s like it was at its height of mainstream popularity but i have to believe that there was at least one like just straight up wrestling fan on the writers team with how many times it's come up like there's that time when remember when biggie was talking about the new year's baby getting in the wrestling match um and how and then the time that hulk hogan or you know hulk hogan with quotation marks around his name showed Mm. up in an Arthur episode. So the amount of time there's been direct references, direct references to wrestling and how accurate they've been thus far. There has to be at least one fan, uh, on, in the writer's room. And this did not disappoint. This was amazing. So Arthur imagines like a uh, professional wrestling match between Yo-Yo Ma and Joshua Redman, who are both like, uh, I'm looking at it right now. My God, this is this is some uh, this is some fuel for somebody's imagination uh, in their own private time. Because Josh Redman and Yo Yo Ma are like these they're like hulked out dudes in these like really tight fitting singlets and like oh mama. Um, <laughs> so they're having this wrestling match, but it it's they don't actually physically fight. They actually they fight with their music styles. So that's Yo-Yo right. Ma- Yo-Yo Ma uses the most illegal move in wrestling. <laughs> I, I, I thought it was, is his name Osiris doing that dance to hypnotize yeah, the, all the other yeah, wrestlers? Yeah. The Assyrian, the Osirian portal. I thought the Osirian portal was the most illegal move in wrestling, but it turns out Yo-Yo Ma has one upped him by, uh, essentially boring Joshua Redmond to death with his cello playing in the ring. Yeah, At first, the... I thought he was going to pull, like, a Jeff Jarrett and hit him with the cello. <laughs> That's what I was like. Or, or, or a broad, does a Braun Strowman hit someone with a cello at some point? It was, yeah, it was a double bass because <laughs> he's so big. But uh, it's even better than that. It's he, he bore – and, like, even the announcer, the sort of, like – the, he's the same guy they use for like all the newscasting and sportscasting on Arthur. I don't know if that character's got a name, but the announcer's like, oh, he's boring him to death, and it, this is all wonderful. It's apparently called the de- the Dossauer move, which I'm sure is a. I implore our uh, kids out there to email us and tell me what the what the Dossauer reference is to. I'm sure it's a classical thing that I don't understand, but yeah. So Joshua Revan like faints and like. Uh, almost loses the match, but uh, steals the referee's whistle, which referees don't usually have a whistle in wrestling unless they're Bill Alfonso. Um, steals his whistle to, like, uh, temporarily deafen Yo-Yo Ma, and then somebody throws a bicycle pump into the ring, which I guess it's a fans bring the instruments match. And gonna, uh, I, I was just going to say, there's this has to be some sort of extreme rules match because there's too many forward objects, brother. Uh, and then uh, he bites holes. Joshua Redman bites holes into the tube, and then starts playing playing jazz with it like a saxophone, and that causes Yo Yo Ma to uh, to like stagger backwards. And it takes then a he, flat back bump onto his cello. It does, and then he just the it, the imagination ends with him holding his broken cello, and the absolute dream to be the voice director to instruct Yo Yo Ma to cry like a baby. 
because he like literally breaks down in like baby tears. It's I pretty... love the detail that the audience throws a bicycle pup in because it, it's already fantastical. Like there's no reason to have a bicycle pump at a wrestling show, so they could have just made it a saxophone. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, but they had to have the part where he bites the holes into it. So they're like, okay, what what is an object? That we could have him turn into a musical instrument. It's like, I don't know, like a bicycle pump, I guess. But there's still no reason for someone to have that, like, in the arena. It does, it's awesome. It's it's lovely. It's so great. It's just, yeah. I, I can't say enough good things about it. Um, at this point, after the, fan, after the fantasy is over, we kind of get our look at Josh at Josh Redman because we, we go to the actual... Uh, uh, the day that they are both there, and again, Josh Redman sounds like a really chill dude. He just he just sounds real cool. He's got that chill goatee. How could he not be? Uh, so he's kind of talking about you know his his experience with music a little bit, and then uh, the kids kind of are trying to get him to like dog on classical music a little bit uh, because DW's the only one there repping classical music. Everybody else wants to hear kind of what uh, Josh Redman has to say. And he plays a bit of uh, classical music on the saxophone. And that's kind of how we start to open up everybody's minds. Um, it, it was, I forget, I forget what the piece was, but then it kind of gets everybody clapping and Arthur starts banging the table like rhythmically. And then you'll, uh, though some, some of the yeah. clapping is like, I think accurate to kids clapping along with a live performance a little bit off. Like, mm-hmm. I think everybody's not exactly on beat, which is a pet peeve of mine, but it makes sense because they're a bunch of kids. Mm. And then Yo-Yo Ma shows up, and DW's, like, kind of wa- tries to send him in. And... By God! By God! That's Yo-Yo Ma's music! <laughs> Yo-Yo actually, like, really liked what, jo- what Josh Redman was doing, and in turn, he also plays something that is not necessarily classical on his cello. He actually says it's an old Texas fiddle tune. Um... DW, uh, you know, kind of takes her criticism. She like, she has, um, how do I how do I explain this? She she's like she's like begging Yo Yo Ma to like take over and like play his music, and he's like, well, what was wrong with his music, DW? And DW's criticism of Josh Redman is actually just criticism of Arthur. She's like, well, for starters, Arthur was just banging the table. It's like that doesn't have anything to do with what was happening. But then Yo Yo Ma asks Arthur to keep beat while he plays the Texas fiddle tune. And uh, and then we kind of get to the message of the whole thing. They they're kind of like you know it's okay to like more than one type of music. Do you like only one type of fu- one type of food? To which Arthur says yes. DW does, and DW affirms yes. I do. The this episode really debunks the idea that one type of music is good and one isn't. Uh, of course, it's with the like you said before PBS safe genres of jazz and classical. But it's still really cool to see it coming together, and I love the message behind it. And in the end, DW is won over to both sides, as is everybody else, as Yo-Yo Ma and Josh Redman play a piece together that Yo-Yo Ma picked up on the way, and it's a classical jazz fusion version of Crazy Bus. Crazy Bus's triumphant return. I wonder if this exists on any of, like, the Arthur compilation albums, like, Hmm. uh, this full composition of the uh, classical jazz Crazy Bus. That's a good question. Um, I... (sighs) It would be it would be super cool if they like got them to do that while they were there. Um, I mean, it's super cool that like it's something that you wouldn't appreciate as a kid, but then like twenty years later, you'd be like, I "Ever tell you about the time that Josh Redman and Yo Yo Ma played like a special concert for me and my friends?" 
an interesting detail right after the episode ends we get the quick like title cards of like yo-yo ma as himself um mm-hmm. and like you said earlier in the arthur canon Technically, Joshua Redman is related to Francine because Yo-Yo Ma's title card simply says Yo-Yo Ma as himself, but Joshua Redman says Mr. Redman played by Joshua Redman, so it's technically a different character. Uh, just a weird little detail that they included. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, and now from this one to That's a Baby Show, which um, the cold open... Let me ask you, Lucas, is this the most prolonged exposure we've had to Mary Mukau as a character? I don't know. That's a really good question. I do know that like this cold open is the first time I've ever really realized how much Mary Mukau is drawn to look like a costume and not like an anthropomorphic animal. Like It's very obvious that her head is just kind of sitting on the body and is not attached. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and, that's, and that was... Uh... And, like, and the, that, the cats are all puppets. Like, everything is animated in a style where it's all kind of fake-looking, and I appreciated that. Yeah, and I imagine that that's not an easy thing to do, but they communicated that quite well. So it's Mary Mukau doing her song. Best word I know is F-U-N. F-U-N spells fun. Fun is nice. I like fun. I like F-U-N. And she's singing this in Arthur's room along with, like, a trio of uh, puppet cats. And then Arthur... <laughs> comes in and is like, what are you doing in my room? And she's like, singing about fun! And we really get the idea, you know, Mary Mukau, pretty much a takeoff on Barney the Dinosaur. Um, and then <laughs> uh, Arthur, Arthur, you know, yell, yells at them to stop the music, and we pan to camera, camera left, and uh, there's like a five-piece orchestra who is playing the F-U-N song, and then they all stop and then leave Arthur's room. DW comes in and asks if they're done, and we get a great line here from Arthur, who says, "Did you let the cow in my room?" Just, call, just calling Mary Moo cow the cow. No, it gave me flashbacks to uh, uh, Buster asking Arthur, "Did the singing moose? When did the singing moose show up?" And Arthur says, "I thought he came with you." Yeah, yeah, it's a good point. Uh, and then Arthur t- very much taking Mary Moo cow's intrusion in stride a little bit, and uh, and so the whole thing is that DW invited Mary Mukau and Arthur keeps repeating, but that's a baby show. And DW's like, well, I really like it. And then Arthur puts his hand uh, up to the screen on the camera and says, that's a baby show. Yeah. This episode really, it's one of those, like, let's say the name of the episode a lot. It's like the gone baby gone of Arthur episodes. Like <laughs> he really drives the, that's a baby show point home. Uh, so we start off the episode with Francine and Buster talking about a TV show uh, in the treehouse, which they then introduce Arthur to. Arthur's never heard of it before. And this is the premiere of Dark Bunny, which I was not aware of. I really thought Dark Bunny was a thing before uh, before this episode. But so no, they have. This... They, they've referenced it before. I, I'm almost certain that they've referenced it before in the show. I think this episode, like maybe takes place, or if we're really getting down to the nitty-gritty here, this place probably takes place, this episode takes place earlier in the continuity, mm. um, like, before Arthur knew about Dark Bunny, because I'm almost, like, 100% certain that Dark Bunny has been referenced before. I remember it was playing on the TV in the previous episode that JV and I were talking about, where it's like Arthur turned into Grandma Thora. But, uh, yeah, not this is the most direct it's referenced because they go into, like, what it's about, and this this is this is so great because like they do a, they do like a cutaway sequence where they're talking about what Dark Bunny is and it is 
nakedly, like unapologetically, just a parody of Batman the Animated Series and a pretty good one at that. So it's like, you know, uh, it's it's related to Bionic Bunny because in the story, Dark Bunny is Bionic Bunny's cousin who lives on the other side of the world or something like that. On the other side of the country. So it's the other like side of the country. Metropolis and Gotham, essentially. Yeah, it's like, where, and they even make a point of, say, where it's always dark. And, of course, that's making fun of the fact that, you know, Batman the Animated Series famously was, like, illustrated on dark paper and took advantage of, like, shadows and stuff like that because, you know, it's a Batman show. But it was, it, but that led to, like, everything always taking place at nighttime. And they, they do, cop, they do uh, emulate the style of Batman the Animated Series really well. Like, it's... With all the basic- hard sha- shadows and jagged edges. Yeah, uh, I- the, the the kind of German expressionist uh, uh, kind of takes on everything. It's it's really well done. It's another one of those cases, like we said with the wrestling, where it's such a good parody that you almost have to think that someone on the team was a fan. Like, and it makes sense. Like the timeline lines up. Like I've yet to beat someone who I'm not even a big comic book guy, and like I know that Batman the animated series is a achievement in like animation. Uh, so I, it's hard for me to imagine people working on a children's cartoon and not being kind of into Batman, the animated series at the time, at this time in the late nineties, early two thousands. Oh, Batman, the animated series. I mean, all time great show. It's so good. It's, it's still good. So I can't imagine that anybody listening to this hasn't seen it before, but if you, if you somehow haven't, you got to fix that right away. What's um, the movie called? Mask of Phantasm? Mask of the Phantasm, yeah. Low key, here's a hot take for you. Mask of the Phantasm might be the best Batman movie ever made. Yeah, it's really, it's it's basically just the animated series, but given like a bigger budget and it, it really allowed to shine. It's so good. It's so good. It's all good. Um the only thing here is that, so, like, you know, we see, you know, Dark Bunny kind of suiting up. He goes through his chair, uh, a la Batman. He has his own vehicle, like the Batmobile, uh, and he has a really long cape, too. But then, um, as Dark Bunny is driving away, he starts playing Flight of the Bumblebee on a trumpet. And I was kind of, I, I wasn't sure what that was making reference to. Like, he's just, just playing this classical music on a trumpet. I'm just like, I don't remember. It's, it's obviously not referencing something in Batman, but I'm just wondering if it's maybe a reference to something else. Like the Green Hornet or something? Oh, maybe. Maybe. Anyway, uh, that's one of his calling cards. So so Arthur, after hearing about this, is committed to watching Dark Bunny uh, after school that day. However, DW is watching Mary Mukau at the same time, and she really doesn't want to give up her spot on the TV. Um, in fact... Uh, she even says, I saw Dark Bunny yesterday and it scared me. So you're not allowed to watch it. And I love how DW saw Dark Bunny before Arthur. It remi- it's funny though, because like, it's so interesting what will scare you when you're a little kid. Even though uh, something like Dark Bunny isn't necessarily inherently scary. I still have vivid memories of when I was a little kid watching the Spider-Man animated series. And it was like the arc where it was the whole like symbiote arc. It's when he was, like, turning into Venom, and that scared me so much as a child. Like, I had to, like, run out of the room, and I was like, can someone go back in there and change the channel? Because I don't even want to look at this. It's yeah. so scary. No, and that, and that is pretty scary. Even as an adult, there's, like, elements to it that are, like, uncomfortable. 
So it's one of my, I, I don't, one of my big neuroses. I always tell people, like, when I was a little kid, the thing that scared me the most was people turning into evil things. So, like, there's that part from the Spider-Man animated series, another superhero reference. There's that part in Superman 3 where that lady turns into a robot. If you go yeah. back and watch it now, it looks terrible. But at the time, that was, like, the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. Big time, big time. Uh, I'm drawing a blank at what I would have been scared of around this time, but you know, uh, you know what? A lot of a lot of stuff. Uh, every once in a while, I go back to a Disney movie, and I'm just be like, I remember this scared, like this scared the crap out of me. Uh, a lot of it was like I I don't I still don't like I don't like being surprised. So like jump scares, even in Disney movies, like I would I remember like when when I knew stuff like that was coming, I would like physically leave the room until it was over. Mm. Um, so I, you gotta, you gotta feel for mom Reed here because, uh, she gets both of her kids yelling at her about this whole situation, uh, as they're kind of running from the TV room to the kitchen where mom is feeding Kate and Arthur, Arthur kind of comes, he's just like, mom, mom, like just are just momming in the way only Arthur can. And. Uh, and he sort of like word vomits, like he's not using any periods, and he just kind of like lets he repeats himself, and he's like, uh, "DW says I can't watch Dark Bunny because she's scared of it, blah 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 blah." And then she did this because, yeah, but I have to watch Dark Bunny. And then there's an amazing pregnant pause uh, where Arthur's mom just kind of looks at him uh, with the spoon. She's like feeding Kate, and the spoon's in midair. She's just like holding it, and she looks at him. Pregnant pause, smash cut to Arthur being like, "Mom says I have you have to let me watch this." Um, and then the formula is sort of repeated with DW doing the exact same thing and going out into the kitchen. DW's not like a little bit more. We'll get into that in a second. But uh, after Arthur comes back, you know, it's like after you're done watching your baby show, mom says I can watch Dark Bunny. Uh, and to to Arthur's point, he kind of, like he's kind of making fun of DW by calling Mary Mukau a baby show because he's like red and blue make green, two, one and one make two, blah, blah, blah. I was and, getting flashbacks to when we watched Cyber Chase. Yeah. Uh, to Arthur's point, if the, if they're talking about that on Mary Mukau, DW seems a little bit old for that. But, I mean, I'm not certainly not the one to make judgments on that. But then DW turns it around on him in a great way. She has this, like, real galaxy brain moment where she's like, well, bionic bun or she calls it bubonic bunny, which is pretty which funny. Which is great. Uh, yeah. yeah. Where she talks about the for – she's able to see the formula of bionic bunny. She's like, there's trouble and no one can help. Uh, and and things get worse. They call Bubonic Bunny, and Bubonic Bunny saves the day. And that's like every episode. I'm just like, that's pretty clever for a four year old to be able to recognize that formula. Yeah. So DW again kind of runs in, and and hers is mom, 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 mom. And hers is a little funnier just because uh, she says like, how come Arthur gets to watch the Dark Bunny, which bothers me, and I don't want and I don't want to watch the Dark Bunny because it bothers me. Uh, so finally, DW says she's gonna do something else while War Arthur watches the dark watches Dark Bunny, and she says that the real baby show is on after Mary Moo Cow, the Love Ducks. So Arthur's about to change the channel to to Dark Bunny, but instead he gets caught up watching the Love Ducks. So then this is the titular. Uh, baby show. What ends up being the baby show in question? Even DW thinks it's a baby show, and to describe it, it's what it is. It's um, I'll I'll start by saying it is absolutely invoking the Teletubbies, and it's right around the time when the Teletubbies would have been really big, and I feel like this whole episode is kind of a response to um, 
the the Teletubbies in a sense because what the Love Ducks is, it's like multicolored ducks and they kind of fly around the screen and they kind of make up all of these like visualizers for them. It's like really surreal visuals as they all quack classical music. A lot of like British children's television that's like meant for little kids it's not just the teletubbies there's like a whole genre of like british children's television that kind of follows this like surrealist formula like there's like the boobas and and to a lesser extent because it's a little bit uh it's got a little bit more you can sink your teeth into but like a yo gabba gabba or Mm. something like that um where it's very much like okay so this is for a really little little kid so we're gonna it's gonna be like a feast in terms of visuals there's going to be all this imagery of, like, the ducks floating down from the sky. But the really direct, like, Teletubbies parody is the narration. And the way the guy's like, hello, love ducks. Goodbye, love ducks. It's, um, a, fu- it's a fine day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, like, very much the, hello, tubby, tubby, Teletubbies. Or or the uh, when the phones would grow out of the ground and kind of instruct the Teletubbies on what to do. And the mm-hmm. Teletubbies would leave at the end of the episode, very similar to how the love ducks were. Um, and I think the colors also match up too. Now looking at them, there's a red love duck, a purple love duck, a yellow love duck, and a green love duck, which is also matches the Teletubbies. And Arthur becomes enraptured by this show, and I feel like this is like his his little brain growing two sizes because he's able to appreciate it in a way like he just he doesn't know why he likes it, but he's just like this is so weird. I like it. And then after DW comes in, he changes the channel, and she's like, "How was it?" And he's just like. It was cool. Somewhere it, in here, there's if you're like a really good YouTube editor, like if you're good at making YouTube poops, somewhere in here there's like making this episode all about weed. Like if you just make a f- <laughs> couple choice edits and it's like, oh, Arthur gets way into smoking weed and like watching children's TV shows, uh, you could, with a few choice edits, make that possible. He goes, it was cool. Like when later on, spoilers for the uh, later on in the episode, but when Buster's like, it's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, and it's, so he appreciates it like on another kind of level. And so... Um, yeah, the conflict of this episode is Arthur trying to keep the fact that he watches the Love Ducks from everybody because it's it's a baby show. And I actually did have this pretty much exact experience in elementary school at the same time I was watching Arthur because when I was about eight or nine, that's when the Teletubbies like broke bad here in America. Like they were inescapable uh, part of children's television. And I loved the Teletubbies. And I was again, I was like eight or nine years old. So outside of the demographic they were looking for you were talking about it lucas and uh you know pretty much with children's tv like that there's like there's no conflict there's no story it's really just visuals and kind of cute things being cute but like i i really like cute things being cute like i'm a big fan oh. of stuff Teletubbies wasn't without conflict though they would like make that tubby custard machine they would like screw up the tubby custard machine would break completely destroy their apartment or whatever and then, like, their vacuum would have to clean it all up. They never had con- – I guess there was no consequences for them because they never cleaned it up. It was like, oh, tubby custard's everywhere. Let's get new new to clean it. Yeah, you're right about that. But, you know, compared to even something – even something like Arthur, which is only for a couple yeah. of years older, like, there's some – can be some actual stakes in Arthur. There's, like, no stakes at all in Teletubbies, but that's part of the appeal. Anyway – yeah, no, I just I thought that, I still think that they're really adorable, and of course I lived through the time when you know Newgrounds was getting popular and Flash animation and just like oh, <laughs> cute, 
you know, like, oh, kill the Teletubbies, you know, you can shoot this one, you can stab this one, or just like, mm. and of course, the, it also came out that, like, the actor who played Tinky Winky was gay. Uh, That's right. Which, which was another thing. So, like, the re- I remember I said that I liked the Teletubbies when I was at school, and I got the same reaction that Arthur gets later in this episode of just, like, you know that show's for babies, right? And all this kind of thing. And then, of course, because the actor who played Tinky Winky was gay, if you watch the Teletubbies, then you were gay. That's right, that Tinky Winky. Like, there was all the sorts of. I remember reading because there was all this like gay panic stuff about surrounding the Tinky Winky character because he was purple, and because he had the triangle logo. People were saying that was like lesbian symbology, and like the fact that Tinky Winky had a purse. It was really, really crazy. If you go back and like read some of that stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, good memory. I didn't even consider like this early two thousands era of Newgrounds humor for better or for worse. It's sort of a bygone. Like I forgot about. It was basically all just like, yeah, like, oh, shoot, Barney, uh, uh, Osama bin Laden, George Bush, like this, like, yeah. sort of, you don't see that stuff that much anymore. Like, I don't think there's a lot of, like, edgy, like, what is the big kid show right now? Probably, like, Paw Patrol or something. I don't think people sort of treat that stuff the same way these days, where it's like, oh, what if Paw Patrol, what if... Uh, they were doing drugs in Paw Patrol. Like, you don't see yeah. that that much anymore. So it's kind of a, a bygone thing. I, sh- I should clarify. I'm not 100% certain if the actor who played Tinky Winky was gay, but there was the... You're right, Lucas. The conversation was about whether that character was gay. It was, yeah, it was like a, it was like a very much like a, a schoolyard rumor or something the yeah. kid who would say his uncle works at Nintendo would start talking about. <laughs> Totally. But so this this episode, when it came out and like still, it's like it's something I related to a lot. And of course, funny that it was Arthur in that position, because, you know, as as if you've been listening to the series, I relate to Arthur a lot on several different levels. So it was funny that he was going through the same thing that I was. And but it's you know, I still kept watching Teletubbies. Like I remember I, I had all of the talking Teletubbies dolls. I had a um uh, Teletubbies video. I had a Teletubbies magazine. Like I was all about them, and all I can say is I thought they were cute, and I like cute things. So you know, I'm a big, big stuffed animals fan. All this kind of stuff. So it really kind of spoke to that. So in that sense, like I, I think Arthur has a love for surrealism that is being nurtured by this Love Ducks show. I uh like yeah, and I didn't necessarily have this big uh affection for the Teletubbies the way that you did, but of course I relate to it in that we're a, a couple of adults talking about Arthur here, right? So obviously it's a little bit different, uh, but we're still adults talking about media that's, for all intents and purposes, intended for kids. Uh, so I definitely relate to it on that level. And there's plenty of shows that are meant for people who are a lot younger than me that I still watch to this day. I've been getting way into uh, The Amazing World of Gumball, which is a show that I don't even have nostalgia for because it wasn't around when I was a kid. It's really a show that uh, basically was created after I had completely stopped watching children's television, so I'm coming to it as an adult. And I really enjoy that show. I I really enjoy Teen Titans Go!, which is actually animated in our city. Um, But it's, it's something that I think I grew to accept is that it's okay to, like, you know... There's no shame in liking something that's meant for people much younger than you. Much like we like Arthur. I think that's a huge point is that some people would be like, these guys have an Arthur podcast and they're adults, but there's nothing wrong with that. 
No, certainly not. And as and as we've done the deep dive into it, there's even things that like still still can nurture us as adults. So, you know, don't don't be quick to judge people, and that's why and like these two episodes together are such a good pair. Anyway, to get back to the the meat of the thing, um, we 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 have this we have this bumper to go between scenes as like kind of the transition, and it's one of the love ducks kind of quacking. I found it rather abrupt because the the quack sound effect that they use is very harsh. And just, <laughs> it's, just, it's just like every time it happened, I was like, ah, okay. Um, so Arthur keeps kind of meaning to watch the Dark Bunny because all his friends are talking about it, but er- but he just can't tear himself away from the Love Ducks, and he watches it every day. Um, I I also had a note here. I bet you that the Love Ducks is going to age wonderfully. Like you know, we like to talk about when the characters go to university and are older and all that kind of stuff. Like, I bet the Love Ducks is going to be so great to go back and watch later and, you know, with a little something-something. I'm sure I'm sure Buster's going to... Yeah. His, his love for the Love Ducks is only going to grow as time goes on. Bro, put on the Love Ducks, man. Um, <laughs> so, but Arthur is kind of close to getting exposed of not having watched Dark Bunny because it's like his friends are talking about it and they're just like, which part of Dark Bunny was better, Arthur? And he's like, oh, they're both really good. Here's something but, that I was curious about is, yeah. so the, the the kids are kind of having this conversation about like, oh, did you watch Dark Bunny last night? I was wondering, do kids still do that? I feel like in 2018, kids aren't like on the playground talking about what they saw on TV the night before. Like, they might be talking about Stranger Things or something, but that's on demand, right? So they don't necessarily be like, oh, did you watch that show that was on 4.30 p.m. last night? I think that's something that's gone away. Yeah, I wonder. I do wonder because that was a big that was a big socializing thing when we were when we were kids was well, well for, for me and my friends. It's like, hey, did you watch Dragon Ball Z at nine o'clock yeah. last night? Did you like, oh, man, Goku went Super Saiyan. I mean, this might be a little bit depressing, Will, but you know what they probably do is like, oh, did you see that Logan Paul video that dropped last night? <laughs> but, well, I mean, it, I think I think it's probably, hey, did you watch this YouTube video? Yeah, it's... Yeah. yeah. Let's 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 assume it's just YouTube generally, not uh, not what not what's his nuts. Um, I, I did like this here. There's a point where Arthur almost gets caught watching The Love Ducks by DW. He quickly turns it over to the Dark Bunny, and then as the episode ends... Uh, the announcer says the the Dark Bunny was brought to you by the Dark Bunny Toy Company. So it'd be it'd be funny because like uh, the Batman toys were made by I mean DC I forget who the toy retailer was but it's like if there was a Batman toy company. Oh, I see. I also like that moment because uh, DW is like uh, Arthur kind of recoils and he's like ah oh! and DW is like I don't know why you watch that scary stuff it makes you so jumpy. <laughs> Arthur, we cut forward. Arthur is in the treehouse with Brain and Buster, and they end up talking about you know Dark Bunny. Great line from the Brain, where uh, somehow the Love Ducks comes up, and the Brain's like, "The Love Ducks makes Mary Mookow sound like a college professor." And then Arthur, in a very unguarded moment, like just kind of lets it slip without even thinking. And this is actually a great read. It's just like, no, they're kind of fun. The colors are really cool. The music is really weird, and it makes you feel happy. Like for like he, like he just. All of a sudden, just vomits his, like just kind of vomits his feelings. Yeah, he's like uh, looking down. He's like barely paying attention. And then he looks, and then he looks up, and their uh, brain and Buster are both horrified. Like, you watch the Love Ducks? And then Arthur has to cover and say, No, no, no! I just had it on because my baby sister watches it. Because I have a baby sister. 
And that's and that's his cover. And he even has this great laugh of just like Buster's like, I thought you were saying you watched the Love Ducks. And I was just like, ha 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 ha. Me? No, never. But so so I I do I do really like these kind of little cutaways of Arthur being this clandestine Love Ducks fan. He brings back the Bloodborne coat, going to a uh, a music okay. store, going to a, a music new store. Side character in the Arthur canon. This was so exciting to me. My new favorite Arthur character is CD store employee. <laughs> this uh, guy, there's a guy who works at the uh, the CD store in the mall where we live at Sunrise Records, who he's not as, this guy kind of looks a little chunky, the Arthur character. He's not like as overweight as this guy is, but he uh, looks very similar. And it's like, this is great. What a, what a lovely character this is. More, a more great line delivery here uh, for for Arthur. He just kind of comes up to him with this with this high neck coat and is like just mumbling to the guys, just like, "Do you get the Love Duck CD?" And of course, the guy can't hear. He's like, "Could you speak up?" And Arthur's like, "The Love Duck CD, you got it." And then I was wondering if any store has ever done this in any regard. Like he's uh, the the CD store employee speaks into a microphone over the PA system and like asks, "Do we have any copies of the Love Duck CD for this boy?" And everybody turns to look at him. Arthur just goes, I have a baby sister. But, like, is that how they used to figure out what they had in stock? They still do that at, like, Walmart or something. At, like, a big box store where there's a lot of ground to cover. They'll page people. Yeah. It just seemed like a really small store to have to do that. But I guess. Yeah, he can't just look it up in the system. Like, <laughs> he just wanted to embarrass poor Arthur. Despite all his all his trying to hide it, uh, Arthur gets found out that he watches the Love Ducks because... He has the window open while he's watching it, and Buster and Francine mosey up to the window because Buster needs to return a math book to Arthur, and then they see him watching the Love Ducks, and they make fun of him as they walk away. And uh, uh, Arthur tries to cover his tracks by stealing Kate and saying he was watching it with Kate, but Arthur's mom blows up his whole story, his whole alibi, because she's like, I was about to change her. And then there's this little moment where Buster and Francine kind of look at each other disgusted at the idea of changing a baby. Uh, so the next day at school, Arthur, you know, tries, goes over to Buster and Francine is just like, Hey guys, could you please just keep it quiet? Like about what you saw yesterday and speed of blowing up spots. Francine pulls a real dick move here. She's like, she's like, Oh yeah, don't worry, Arthur. I won't tell anybody you watch the love ducks. And, and then everybody looks at Arthur. And then of course this makes him the butt of everybody's jokes. Yeah. This is some old school season one, Arthur bullying. Like yeah, be, the be, putting be, the duck on his his locker door, like all this stuff gets kind of really mean spirited. Francine even brought props. She brings out a rubber duck and just goes quack quack, <laughs> and then everybody's kind of harassing Arthur with all this, all this like you know people quack at him and they like actively laugh at him, and so Arthur's feeling down in the dumps. But as he's with Buster. Buster uh, offers to treat him to a double chocolate shake or two to help him feel better. They walk by a TV store, which is playing the Love Ducks, and Buster kind of looks at the trippy visuals, and he's like, what is that? That looks so cool. And then they walk into the TV store so Buster can hear it, and he immediately becomes enamored with it. Um, and, and in fact, to the point where like we cut, we have a quick little montage where like Buster goes to the CD store, and he asked for the Love Duck CD, and we get the same gag of like the guy going over the microphone, just like, "Do we have any copies of the Love Duck CD?" But Buster has no shame; he just goes, "I like it." And yeah, Buster, Buster's like turn of like, it's funny the dynamic of like Arthur's so anxiety ridden and so like 
worried about how other people will perceive him and being perceived as a baby. But once Buster decides that he likes the Love Ducks, he, like, doesn't care at all. He just shamelessly is like, I love the Love Ducks. It's great. Yeah, yeah, in fact, the next day at school, like, Francine comes up to them, is about to make fun of Arthur, and Buster's like, Francine, it's a cool show. And as you said, he says, it's the single weirdest show I ever saw. And he uh, brings up his sweater to reveal that he has a Love Ducks uh, shirt on underneath. Which is kind of a cool shirt. It's like an Andy Warhol parody, uh, but with all the different love ducks. Yeah, it is cool. So this gives them the opportunity, Buster and Arthur, to, like, introduce everybody to, like, they they play a boombox with the love duck CD as everybody sits in a circle on the soccer field. And everybody's kind of like, this is really weird, but I like it. Which leads to... Before that, there is a moment, I forgot to mention this, where when they're all making fun of Arthur about the love ducks... uh, did we talk about when Binky is like, did you learn where your nose is? And Binky is like pointing to his elbow. <laughs> no, like, I missed that. Oh, but yeah, go back. There's like, they're all making fun of him. And like, Binky's like trying to make fun of Arthur for like the context, like the content on the love ducks. And he's like, did you wor- learn where your nose is? But Binky's pointing to his elbow. <laughs> all right. I got it here. <laughs> yeah, he totally does. Oh my God. I missed that. Man, even when he's not the center of attention, Binky is MVP. Um, And, yeah, while they're sitting around and listening to the Love Ducks, George even says, I've been watching it every day for a year. And the episode ends with them watching the Love Ducks at Arthur's place. And, you know, it's like, you know, people being like, wow, this this is really neat. And Francine says, this isn't as good as the time they quacked the Nutcracker Suite. And everybody looks at her and she's just like, well, so what if I watch it? Once in a while, every now and then, every day, you know, she, it kind of breaks down. It turns out that Francine actually was watching the Love Ducks all along, but was making fun of Arthur. I don't know. Uh, I kind I, I didn't. I don't like the way this episode wraps up. In fact, it's like the it's like the only complaint I have about this episode is just like I don't like them. I don't like the message. And this has been in cartoons before and kids shows of just like. You know, if somebody's making fun of you about something, it's actually because they like it. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're saying. Like, the, the oh, the only reason someone would ever bully someone is if they have some sort of internalized insecurity. And that some people are just bad people. <laughs> it's a little bit too nuanced for an animated show. Uh, but they always try and explain away, like, someone being mean by being like, oh, it's because secretly they're like that. Well, it reminds me of, like, the the narrative of, like, it's just like, well, boys only tease girls because they like them. And I'm like, mm. no, that's not true. And especially as somebody who, like, lived this scenario, it's like, kids didn't make fun of me because they also like the Teletubbies. They made fun of me because the Teletubbies had a stigma. And that's just, like, this just wasn't true. This is just kind of wishful thinking. Anyway, that was, unfortunately, the only falter was right at the end. All right, let's uh, let's go. Let's wind it back as we take a look at the last episode of season four at a glance. Uh, let's go back to my music rules. What'd you think, Lucas? My music rules is interesting. Um, I don't think either of these episodes are like super standout. Like, I'm not sure if either of them will make my best five episodes of the year list. That is, uh, best five episodes of the season list. That's to be seen. Uh, but. I will say that this episode has a lot of really, really fun moments between the wrestling, um, DW going to the concert, 
there's that awesome moment where there's no dialogue and it's just the music playing as DW and Arthur getting to an argument. And as far as uh, celebrity cameo episodes go, I think it falls pretty much in line with some of the better ones, like when DW meets fake Bill Clinton or uh, when, uh, uh, of course, Mr. Rogers uh, coming to the neighborhood is the high standard, as well as our Garfunkel's celebrity cameo. So I think this one does a really good job. Taught me what Yo-Yo Ma is, and it's pretty legendary for that as well. Um, but besides that, it's pretty low-key. Uh, it, it's nothing about it's particularly stand out, but it definitely isn't boring. Uh, has a really unique moral. Like I said earlier, it's it's something where I don't think I've seen this exact moral of hey, music subjective, art is subjective, like, don't hate on people if they like certain music. Uh, I haven't seen that in, in pretty much any other kids' show, so I liked that aspect of it. Uh, but it's not necessarily an episode I'm going to be watching again anytime soon. Okay. Um, I actually have to disagree with you, and I guess this is kind of a spoiler for next week's uh, uh, Season 4 recap episode. I love this episode. Like, I love everything about it. Um I, I know you said it's a little bit more of a low key one, but honestly, and this and this is something I bring up every time we get one of these episodes. Like my favorites are the ones that you can still appreciate as an adult, and boy, mm. I love I love the message of it's okay to like more than one thing. It's okay if somebody likes something different than you. It's okay to expand your horizons and listen to things that maybe you thought you wouldn't like. That's something that I'm kind of learning about myself is that like a lot of the things that I like the best, be it like a TV show, video game, comic book, book, like anything. It it always it, uh, it more than often more often than not, it starts out as something being uh, like my initial reaction is that I hate it. And then as I kind of get into it more it's just like oh no i actually really like this you have dan and reichert syndrome a little bit yeah like for example i remember but when it was on tv i remember i refused to watch community because i was like well that show just looks like you know your stock standard nbc sitcom i bet it's you know or whatever i bet it's not funny at all and then i actually like watch clips from it and i'm like oh this is really good and community is now one of my favorite shows ever and that that that's true for like a bunch of other things i found out which is, i guess is kind of my personality um but yeah no i thought this that was a great message and i thought that they got really interesting guests like i mean i'm sure kids kids i say kids but like people our age know who yo-yo ma is from this episode like we do that's true. Um, this this episode is culturally significant for nothing <laughs> else but like it taught a whole generation of people who Yo Yo Ma is. Yeah, and I should I should you know I should really make a point to listen to some Yo Yo Ma and some Josh Redman for that matter. That's true. Uh, I definitely am going to check out Josh Redman after uh, realizing once watching this episode as an adult that he is indeed a real person. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, and. And yeah, I thought that a lot of the ways they incorporated music into this episode was really good. And it reminded me, kind of as we were talking about it, that Arthur is a show that where music is really important to it. And it's something you wouldn't think about because, you know, you know, a lot of people know Arthur as like, oh, it's, you know, about literacy and all this kind of stuff, which it is. But Arthur has a strong backbone of music, you know, from the music soundtracks they released to the different types of music that are represented. A lot of the stories are based around music, too. And this is this was such a great theme to introduce into a show like Arthur, where music is 
one part of the backbone of what makes it so unique of you know it's okay to like want more than one type of music and all this kind of stuff so i thought the message was great i thought the humor and the dialogue as we talked about were really funny i loved the wrestling sequence that gets a huge gold star in my in my book i love the, the design of the guest characters i thought they gave great performances i love this episode um as for uh, that's a baby show. I definitely also really like this episode, but as I said, it just has that one thing that keeps it from being maybe on the level of my music rules. Uh, and I think it, I must also admit that part of it is probably just personal bias because I actually lived the situation, but it was, it's such a unique thing to like only a few childhood experiences, but I appreciate it. It really hit home with me when I was a kid. And it is also kind of of its time because, uh, as we kind of, as you talked about, Lucas, I don't know if there is so much of this kind of thing that kids would encounter these days. You know, kind of being shamed for liking something like this, or maybe there is. I really don't know. But it, especially because it's you know the parodying the Teletubbies and everything, it's like really something that was happening at the time. So I don't know about its lasting appeal, but it definitely brings me back to when I was a kid. I think it tackled the message initially pretty well i loved them i always like it when arthur gets a bit meta and references other shows in its own style so i thought that was really cool but like i said the ending kind of the ending message i thought was kind of weak and uh a little bit of a cop out uh other than that i i also really liked this this episode it's it's one that i'm glad that i i fondly remember because i think it deserves to be fondly remembered to a degree if uh, the dialogue and the music is the star of My Music Rules, the star of That's a Baby Show is really the visuals. From the uh, Batman the Animated Series parody, which is like really just a joy to watch, to all the stuff with the Love Ducks of like the love. It's funny because they could have done a much more direct parody of um, the Teletubbies, but the, the Love Ducks uses all this imagery that's like completely unto itself. Like it's got this weird like. 60s like psychedelia like groovy babe like it's got this kind of like british austin powers font like do you know what i'm talking about like, yeah yeah yeah, it, yeah. It, it's definitely got an aesthetic up unto itself and then all the stuff where like the love ducks like float from the sky and land uh buster really was on the nose where he's like it's one of the weirdest things i've ever seen uh so it's a really unique idea and i love the i like the presentation of this episode a lot like the way the animation style switch up uh for the dark buddy sequence and for the love duck sequences and also all the custom like transitions with the duck that are just in this episode um and the, all again all the parts with the cd store employees just amazing uh, but I, I think this episode, as much as it's, it might have sounded like I was hating on My Music Rules, but I, I wasn't. I, I think it's a really, really solid episode. Uh, just wasn't particularly standout for me. But And I think that way about That's a Baby Show as well. I think these two episodes um, paired together are rock solid. There's not a lot of skippable moments in either. They're just like really good, solid Arthur episodes. Uh, it's just, to me personally, neither of them like super duper spoke to my personal experiences uh, but if you're looking for a great two-part, like, episodes to watch together, you can't really go wrong with either of them. Yeah, I agree. The pairing, like you said, was very strong and really kept on theme. Sometimes, you know, you have to reach a little bit to see, like, what connects these episodes together. But this one was immediately recognizable, which makes it a much stronger uh, watch altogether. And that's it. That's Arthur Season 4. 
as we uh, as we kind of get used to this new format of 10 episodes per season, uh, we're going to be entering into season five by the time we get into September. Uh, and that means that next week we are going to be looking at our uh, our picks for our five, top five episodes of Arthur season four and are uh, looking over at season four in general. What will we have to say about it? You'll have to find out. And, of course, if you have things to say about the season, about the episode, or about anything that we've talked about, you can get at us in a number of ways on social media. Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits on Twitter at ECL Podcast. Uh, ElwoodCityLimits.tumblr.com. You can also send us emails over at ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. Become a patron at Patreon.com slash ElwoodCityLimits. And, of course, if you're listening to us, you may have found us by way of the Google Play Store or the Apple Podcasts Store. And, or you may have gone to ElwoodCityLimits.Libsyn.com. And, of course, as we said at the top of the episode, uh, we're still in the running for Best podcast in halifax that's is it uh it's bestofhalifax.com right yeah if you go to bestofhalifax.com we're in the news and media section uh it's no longer nominations if you didn't get that from our intro it's now we've been nominated and it's time to vote and we need every vote we can get just go to the uh bestofhalifax.com and then if you click news and media go down to podcast best podcast and uh vote for elwood city limits word thank you for the uh the shout outs on social this week thank you for the new patrons we thank you very very much we hope that you've also uh listened to our new uh ecl commentary about arthur it's only rock and roll uh if you're wondering where to uh find the the video to go along with the audio just uh punch that into google and it's the daily motion video but you didn't hear that from me uh you can find that by going to our social media that's facebook twitter and tumblr we put up a link to the Bandcamp link and it is uh pay what you want so if you want to get that for free what's important for us is that you hear it so if you want to leave us a little something that's cool if you want to get it for free that's cool too just make sure that you listen and let us know what you think and then coming up after next week and into September, we are getting into Season 5, where there's going to be quite a dramatic shift in terms of the voice cast and uh, and in terms of uh, Arthur in general. Really looking forward to seeing what changes uh, we're going to be getting. And we'll take you through uh, as many of them as we can find. The first episode of Season 5 that we'll be getting into is Arthur and the Big Riddle, followed by Double Dare. Ooh, like Mark Summers? Uh, probably not as probably not as much slime in this one. Not to say there isn't any, but uh, uh, not as much. All right, so for Elwood City Limits and Arthur Season Four, this is Will Young, and uh, yeah, it's actually going to be good that uh, we're going to be doing our best our best of Season Four next week or our Season Four recap next week because next week is my birthday, so we get to have a little bit of. Uh, little bit of time uh, I get to have a little bit of time off there not that I don't love doing this but you know it's my birthday uh Will Young here and for Lucas Mancini did you let the cow in my room <laughs> I was wondering if you were gonna do that one that's Elwood City Limits we'll catch you next time with our recap of season four <laughs>